So we're going to turn to this morning's scripture reading. If you look in your, your worship bulletin, you'll see that the, the scripture we had planned on using this morning was from the New Testament book of 1 John. We're not going to use that scripture this morning. This was one of those weeks when we, we shifted gears and decided to go with a, with a plan B. And so instead this morning, we're going to hear a reading from the Gospel of John. This morning's reading will begin in the Gospel of John, chapter 13 beginning with verse 33. I'll give you a moment if you want to turn to it in your pew Bibles or in the Bibles at home. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 33. And listen now for God's voice as we hear these words from Jesus. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So most weeks... I write the sermon on Monday morning. You know, my goal as I begin every new week is to try to have a sermon or at least a first draft of the sermon by lunchtime on Monday. The upside to having the sermon written by the end of Monday morning is that I feel like then I can be present and truly focused on everything else that happens for the rest of the week without having to write a sermon hanging over my head. And so most weeks I, I have the goal of having a sermon written by, by the end of Monday morning. Of course, the downside writing the sermon on Monday morning is that sometimes something happens on Tuesday that causes all your plans to go out the window. And that's what happened this week. I had a sermon that was written by the end of Monday morning and, and by the end of Tuesday and as the week went on it was more and more apparent that the word I had on Monday was not the word that God was going to want to speak to us on Sunday. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to set aside the sermon that I wrote on Monday morning. We're going to set aside the, the scripture that we had planned on using in worship this week. We're going to set aside the sermon series that we planned for the season of Advent. We're going to set aside all of our other plans for this morning and we're going to talk about the week that you and I just lived through. On Tuesday afternoon, a young man, a 15-year-old, went into Oxford High School, less than 30 miles from here in Flint. He shot 11 people, and four of them now have died. And this kind of violence is not new to us. It's not new to our communities. I looked it up. Did you know that the shooting in Oxford was the 651st mass shooting event in America this year? This year, America is, is averaging two mass shootings a day, every single day, all year long. I looked this up. Did you know that the, the shooting in Oxford on Tuesday was the 28th school shooting this year? In a year when many schools have been unoccupied for months at a time, what happened in Oxford was the 28th school shooting, and before Tuesday was over, we'd already had the 29th school shooting as well. And of course, we're, we're no strangers to school shootings here in Michigan. I learned something that I didn't know this week. Since 1970, Michigan has got the fourth highest amount of school shootings of any United States. Number four on the list. And all the states that are ahead of us on the list have two or three or four times the population that Michigan does. 
our communities, our schools, our nation is not, not new to this sort of violence. And this sort of thing happens over and over again. And even so, even though we are so accustomed to this sort of violence happening in our schools and our communities, I have to tell you that for me, what happened in Oxford this week felt close to home in a way that it hasn't felt close to home since I think probably Sandy Hook. Maybe you experienced that too. Now there's some reasons for that. One of the reasons that what happened in Oxford this week felt so close to home for me was because the, the victims and the shooter were the same ages as my own kids. And my children's schools were closed for a day this week because of copycat threats that were made on social media. Another reason that this, this week's events felt so close to home was that they were literally close to home. I know people who live in Oxford. I know people who know the victims. I know people who are grieving and shattered this week. And so this week for me has been an emotional roller coaster. I felt lots of intense emotions throughout the week. Here's some of what I've been feeling this week. Maybe some of this will feel familiar to you too. I've been feeling deep and aching sadness this week. Sadness for the victims. Sadness for a traumatized community. And yes, sadness for a young man who seems to have been crying out for help and didn't receive that help from the people who were closest to him. I've been feeling anger this week. Anger at the shooter. Anger at the shooter's parents. Anger at a society that doesn't seem to be able to take meaningful action to solve a problem that isn't a problem anywhere else in the world. Not on the scale that we experience here in America. I've been feeling frustration this week. I was talking to one of our neighbors this week, someone who's an immigrant, who's, who's relatively new to America, and he asked me this question. He said, how can this happen? How can a 15-year-old get access to this kind of weapon? And so I started explaining to him the realities of American culture and American politics. I told him about America's idolatrous relationship with guns and our idolatrous fixation on violence as the solution to every problem, and I talked about the powerful gun lobby, which resists even the most common sense and even the most commonly supported gun reforms. And as I was explaining to him the reality of the landscape of American culture and American politics, I started feeling frustrated, and I started feeling helpless, and I started feeling like they're really the powers at work and the powers at play here are so big, so overwhelming that there's just not very much that somebody like me can do to stop this from happening again in another community, in our own community. I felt angry and sad and frustrated and helpless this week. I was feeling like there was really not much that we could do in a moment when I really wanted to do something. And then I came across this story. I came across a story that was written by the author and blogger and podcaster Glennon Doyle. If you haven't encountered Glennon Doyle yet, you should make some room in your life and your heart for, for Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle is a writer who writes beautifully and meaningfully about faith and about life and about parenting and marriage and being human. You should check out Glennon Doyle if you haven't yet. 
And back in 2014, Glennon Doyle shared this story. She shared the story of something that happened when she was becoming frustrated that she didn't understand the math homework that her son was bringing home from school. Her son was 11 years old, and he kept asking her for help with his math homework. And she would look at the homework and say, this is not how I learned to do it when I was your age. I don't understand what the teacher is asking you to do. And so finally, Glennon Doyle called up her son's teacher and said, can you help me? Can you teach me this? Can you help me understand what's happening so I can and so I can help my son when he has problems with his homework. And so the teacher very graciously said, sure, come on in. And so after school one day, Glennon Doyle went and they met in a classroom and they spent about an hour with the teacher instructing Glennon Doyle on how to do math the new way. And, and the two of them hit it off. And after they had, had solved all of the homework issues and all the math was figured out, they kept on talking. You know, they talked about parenting, they talked about teaching, and they talked about the responsibility of not just teaching math, but of shaping young lives and caring for young people. And as they were talking, the teacher shared with Glennon Doyle this thing that she does. She said, every week at the end of the week, on Friday, just as the last bell is about to ring, she says, I have all the students get out a slip of paper. And then I have them write on that slip of paper four names. I say, give me the four names of the four people you want to sit next to in the coming week. And the students know that there are no promises, there are no guarantees, they're not going to get all of their requests, but they still get asked, who do you want to sit with next week? And then she asked them to write down one more name on a slip of paper. She says, nominate somebody who you believe has been an exceptional citizen this week. And so the students spend a couple minutes writing and then they all pass those slips of paper forward and after the last bell rings, this teacher takes all of those pieces of paper home and she spreads them out on a table and then she starts looking for patterns. And she asks the question, who isn't being requested by anybody? Who can't think of anybody else they want to sit next to? Who is never nominated as an exceptional citizen? Who is being overlooked by their classmates? Who had lots of friends last week but doesn't have any friends this week? And maybe by this point you've realized that this teacher isn't actually looking to try to discover who are the exceptional citizens in her classroom. What she's trying to discover as she looks at these slips of paper is who needs extra help? Who is lonely and isolated? What this teacher wants to know is who is becoming disconnected because she believes that violence always begins with disconnection. And Glennon Doyle was amazed and she was impressed and she asked the teacher, how long have you been doing this? And the teacher said, ever since Columbine, every week, every Friday for the last 17 years, every week, every Friday since Columbine, I do this. In a week that was filled with intense emotions, this story made me feel some intense emotions. I felt a lot of things as I was reading this story. One of the things that I felt was gratitude. I felt so grateful for our teachers. We ask our teachers to do so many things. We ask our teachers to do more things than any one human being could ever possibly do. And yet, even so, there are so many teachers who go above and beyond even the things that we ask them to do, to care for and to shape young lives. I felt gratitude for our teachers when I read this story. I also felt a little bit defensive. I felt a little bit defensive on behalf of our teachers because I worry that there are going to be people who will read this story and they will say, well, there you go. 
All we need is for every teacher in America to work an extra three hours every Friday evening, and then we won't have to have card conversations. We won't have to get involved with politics. We won't have to change our gun laws. We won't have to change anything in our own lives. Teachers will solve this problem for us, just like we ask teachers to solve every other problem for us. I felt a little bit defensive on behalf of teachers when I read this story. But mostly what I felt when I read this story was hopeful. Because for the first time all week long, when I finished reading this story, I felt like there was something immediate, there was something meaningful, there was something important that you and I can do to stop this from happening again in our community and in other communities. Because if it's true that violence begins with disconnection, then the church is absolutely part of God's solution to the problem of violence our communities are facing. Because connection is who we are. Connection is what we do. In this morning's scripture reading, we have this story from the very final moments of Jesus' ministry. On the night in which Jesus was arrested, he knows that he only has a little bit more time with his disciples. He knows that his enemies are coming for him. He knows that his disciples, his students, are about to go through something traumatic and violent and scary. And he only has time to teach them one more thing. He only has time to do one more thing. And in this moment when Jesus only has time for one more thing, what does Jesus do? He gathers his disciples around a table. And he says to them, listen, he says, little children, I'm not going to be with you for very much longer. And so before I go, there is one more thing I want you to hear. If you don't remember anything else I have taught you, remember this. If you don't do anything else I have commanded you to do, do this, Jesus says. I am giving you one more commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also should love one another. This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you show to one another. And then Jesus takes a loaf of bread, he blesses it and he breaks it and he shares it. And he pours a cup of wine and he passes it around the table. In this moment when Jesus only has time to teach one more thing, when he only has time to do One more thing. What does Jesus do? He creates connection. He creates communion. He says to his disciples, go and do this in remembrance of me. Break bread with somebody. Buy lunch for somebody. Find somebody who doesn't have a place at a table and invite them. Give them a place at your table. Take strength and set them at the table together so that strangers can become friends. Gather enemies at the table together so that enemies can find peace. If you don't know what else to do, do this. Create connection, create communion. I've been feeling helpless and small and powerless for a lot of this week. And in this morning, when I've spent so much time feeling helpless, in this Sunday morning after a really difficult Tuesday, The thing I'm holding on to is this. The thing I'm holding on to is the promise that Jesus has given us, the belief that we share that this matters. This is important. This has the power to heal our souls. This has the power to heal our communities. This has the power to bring peace into the world. This table where everybody has a place, this table where nobody is excluded. This is the gift that we have to give the world. We take this table with us wherever we go. We take it to our schools. We take it to our workplaces. 
We take it to our neighborhoods. We take it to our homes. We take this table with us until everybody has a plate and everybody has a place. And we discover that we were never helpless after all. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for the place that you have given us at this table. We give you thanks for the grace and the peace that we experience when we come to this table. We pray that you would give us the wisdom not to hold on to that grace for ourselves, not to hoard that peace among ourselves, but to share it with the world. May every table we sit down at become a table of sharing, a table of connection, a table of communion, that the world might know your peace. In Jesus we pray. Amen.